You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul begins his discussion of Psalm 82 and Psalm 8 as they relate to Genesis 1 through 11. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. So, Father Paul, you've mentioned several times the Bible's stance against religious and philosophical systems of ethics and morality, and how the whole discussion of good, tob, versus evil, ra, is not only prohibited in Genesis, but punishable by death. You've also talked about Psalm 82 and Psalm 8 as they relate to Genesis 1 through 11, and the way that Psalm 8 in particular has been misused by patristic writers to elevate the human being. What is the connection between Psalm 8 and Genesis 1 through 11, and what is the significance of the word heser in Psalm 8 verse 5? Well, notice how the serpent says to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The first unavoidable conclusion is that in Scripture, the human being is not God, albeit the human being is like God. This is at its clearest literally speaking, in the literarily speaking, central Psalm 82. It's practically in the middle of the Psalter. I'm going to read it quickly. We all know it, a Psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment from the verb shapat. How long will you judge, you gods, Tishpatum? unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, give justice to the weak, and so on and so forth. I say, and let's hear this closely, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like men. And you have here like Adam, like man and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for to thee belong all the nations. So we can hear it, that God is going to judge the other named gods like he would judge Adam and make them fall. That's Psalm 82. So all this talk, especially in the Orthodox tradition about theosis and so on, it's, uh, and you know how many scholars go, I mean, this is a word used in theology, theologin, to speak theology, to speak as God speaks, which does not exist in the Bible. Old and New Testament alike, it doesn't exist, we make up words. So here in 82, we have the scriptural God threatening all other deities with death 
just as he did man in Genesis 2.17. And with falling, you will fall like any prince, which is the verb nafal, from which we have the noun nephilim, the fallen ones that are the progeny of the sons of God, human beings who consider themselves as being sons of God. So I want my hearers to hear that Psalm 82 and Genesis 1 through 11 use exactly the same terminology. Moreover, the reason for their harsh judgment by God is that their judging is unjust and partial. Okay, we will have the story of Solomon who is assigned to judge the people and yet he falls into misjudgment. What is impressive in the case of 82 is that the word dull, base, lowly, insignificant is used twice in verse 3 and 4. The hearers cannot avoid reminiscing the story of Cain, forefather of the king Lamech, and his dealing with his brother Abel, vanity, nothingness, vapor. So we have a parallelism between the behavior of the gods in Psalm 82 and the behavior of Cain who will build the first city and then his great-great-grandson becomes king. This turning of the situation on its head by theology is encountered specifically in Psalm 8. We all know it where the text is used in all theologies across the world to equalize man with God. And it started obviously with patristic theology where it speaks of the value of the human being in God's plan. But this misreading parallels the Greco-Roman father's misreading of Adam being in the image and the likeness of God. They just read the text the way they would like to read it, which is Allah Plato, who said that the human being with his soul, which is divine as God, as is divine. And then later, Justin, the philosopher, speaks about each one of us having the spark of the divine in us and so on. All this is totally unscriptural and thus anti-scriptural. And coming back to Psalm 8, the theologians take the statement, yet thou hast made him, the human being, Enosh Adam, little less than God, and thus crowned him with glory and honor. However, a careful hearer will immediately detect a touch of irony like the one that is heard in Psalm 82, where the gods are the sons of the Most High, nevertheless, aken in Hebrew, truly, indeed, they are Adam, like mortal men. However, in order to follow the subtler line of thought in Psalm 8, one is to hear it in the original Hebrew, 
So I would like, as usual, your patience. I would like to read it and read the Hebrew. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a son of David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Thou whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouth of babes and infants, thou hast founded a bulwark because of thy foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at thy heavens, the work, which in Hebrew, ma'aseh, from the verb asa, of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast established, recalls Genesis 1. What is man, enosh? You know, I have two words for man very early in Genesis, Adam and Enosh. That thou art mindful of him and the son of man, Ben Adam. Notice the parallelism. Okay. Enosh and Ben Adam. That thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him little less his ser, which is technically diminished him. You have diminished him compared to God, Elohim. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hands. Again, reference to Genesis 1. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, Bahamot Sadeh, which is like the book of Genesis, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So it's a clear parallelism between Genesis 1-2 and then here in Psalm 8. So the human being is functionally at the head of the creation, the work of God. But he is part of that work, and hence the importance of that verb, his ser, to make him little less. And in a few minutes, I shall show that the Septuagint and the Vulgate take this very seriously. Okay, I can give you a few examples of how this root hasar means to lessen. A couple of examples from Genesis 8. And the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. Then, when Abraham debates with God about the number of people in Sodom, he says, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking, so it denotes always something that is lessened, less or lessened. This negative connotation of Hisar, to make less, is preserved, as I just mentioned, in both the Septuagint, the Vulgate. In the Septuagint, we have the verb elatowo, elatosas, afton, vrahi, ti, parangelus, 
Vulgate uses minuisti, diminish. We have it in English reflected in minus, less. The forcefulness of the Vulgate lies in the fact that after the verb minuisti, which is lessened, it uses the preposition minus. So we hear it twice, minuisti minus ab angelis, less than the angels. This translation of Elohim as angels has to do with the fact that I discussed also in my upcoming book that Elohim often means the gods in the plural. And I think out of respect for the scriptural God, the Septuagint and the Vulgate translators opted for angels instead of using gods due to the attitude of the Bible against the multiplicity of the other gods. But let's move aside and concentrate on that root lesson hisser. Now, the conclusion is that Psalms 8 and 82 are singing the same tune in that they are both conceived to remind the humans and the deities that notwithstanding all appearances, they both are ultimately accountable for their behavior to the sole scriptural God. The message in Psalm 82 is straightforward, whereas in Psalm 8 it is more subtle. I stress the word in spite of all appearances, because the human beings seem to be highly positioned to the extent that they rule over everything, call all, all things in Psalm 8.6. However, unfortunately, such it perceived only by theologians who under the spell of ancient Greek philosophy tend to view the human being as the culmination of existence on earth, if not of the universe. However, a closer and more attentive hearing of the psalm will readily show the fallacy of this thesis. I stressed hearing because ultimately scripture is a literary text and not a philosophical treatise a la Plato's dialogues that we read among ourselves and discuss. The most striking as well as readily detectable feature of this song is that it is a recollection of Genesis 1 through 9 and more specifically chapter 1. We have the earth, the heavens, the works of God, the moon, the stars, man, Ben Adam, dominion, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea. If the author is intentionally inviting the hearers to recollect, reminisce Genesis 1 through 9 while listening to the psalm, then the obvious aim is to remind them that the human being failed miserably in his assignment to rule over creation in God's stead. Okay, so if we keep this in mind, we notice that the human being fell in the trap to imagine that he is 
like God. But this word is used by the devil to lure Eve and through her Adam to misunderstand the commandment of God that you cannot be like me because you're not allowed to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of the good and the evil. You cannot have the discernment. You cannot possess the faculty of discerning between good and evil, which is reserved only to God as judge, as we heard in Psalm 82. This is what we have in Psalm 8. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.